Hey, everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Corporate Drinker, a punk rock HR production. In each episode, Corporate Drinker explores the intricate ties between work culture and alcohol. Now, there's no judgment here. The podcast tells stories of regular people like you and me who may have complicated relationships with drinking. I'll talk to leadership gurus, therapists, addiction specialists, and even HR and marketing professionals who have hot takes on how and why alcohol and work have become so interconnected. And of course, I'll speak to brilliant people with big ideas on cultivating genuine cultures of inclusion and belonging so leaders and employees can enhance their work environment and reduce unnecessary conflict with or without alcohol. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Claude Silver, the trailblazing Chief Heart Officer at Vayner Media. In her unique role, Claude infuses the company with empathy, nurturing the heartbeat of over 2,000 employees. She believes in a vibrant living culture and leads with a focus on inclusion, belonging, and compassion. Claude's mission isn't just about her own agenda, but rather helping her team members and colleagues discover their own paths. In today's episode, we explore the role of alcohol in a corporate culture, the essence of empathetic leadership, and the importance of creating a sense of belonging within a company. But more importantly, Claude has some interesting stories and some deep wisdom about the world of work, and I'm excited for you to hear those. So if you want to discover some fresh perspectives and gain some valuable insights from a beloved leader who is just admired around the world, well, sit back and enjoy this conversation with my friend, Claude Silver. Hey, Claude, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Lori. Great to be here. Oh, I'm so pleased to to see you again, to connect with you, and to talk about all things work drinking. But before we do that, could you just tell everybody who you are and what you're all about? Sure thing. My name is Claude Silver. I'm the Chief Heart Officer here at VaynerX, which is a, a holding company for VaynerMedia and uh, Gary Vaynerchuk's other companies. I've been here for nine years which is amazing. And uh, I come from a world of advertising, actually, and uh, and coaching. So happy to be here. Yeah, well, we're happy to have you here. Listen, we're, we're not spring chickens anymore, right? We're not this emerging Gen Z. Uh, we've had a little work experience. And I wonder if you have any work drinking stories, good, bad, indifferent, something you've seen, something you've done. But we all have that one thing in our lives where we're like, whoa, work drinking is complicated. So do you have that? Work drinking is complicated, and I think the more experience you have in the workplace and maybe the higher you get, for me, it's something that I'm much more mindful of. I'm so mindful of, okay, time to leave. Okay, Claude, maybe they they need to have their own time without you here. <laughs> so, But I remember one incident in particular, this is back in... Um, I don't know, the beginning of the 2000s, because I'm not a spring chicken, when taking clients to strip clubs seemed to be a thing. Yeah, yeah. And it was a very uncomfortable thing. Always happened after a boozy dinner, boozy cocktails, boozy dinner. It was always something that seemed to happen with the male account director and the clients. And I bowed out 
And I was told the next day that that was not a good show of sportsmanship, of teamwork. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And I said, I remember I was I was a young little thing. And I said, I didn't realize that was part of the job description. It made me really uncomfortable. I said, strip clubs make me very uncomfortable. And so it's not even like a funny story. It's like absurd when I even play it in my mind. It, I was so uncomfortable. And there were other women that went and Godspeed and that's, that's their decision. But for sure, for sure. that was not how I was going to earn my stripes. Do you feel like not going had a truly detrimental impact on your job? Or do you think that was just a threat of it being detrimental? Like, do you understand what I'm asking? Because in some organizations, they may say, well, you should do it, you should participate. And in others, you may be excluded from future opportunities. It was a threat and there was no retaliation. That is what I will say, which was great. And, you know, if I saw if I saw that account director on the street today, everything would be good, fine and dandy. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just not, it's just not what I wanted to do, but it was a threat and it was, it was uncool. Yeah. It's <laughs> it was, gross. It's just gross. It was not needed. You know, I had a boss a long, long time ago who said to me, you know, Claude, everyone's replaceable. And this was kind of the same thing. And I remember thinking when that one boss told me everyone's replaceable, gosh, I'm not going to be like you. Wow, what a motivating moment in your career. So I, I want to talk about that because right now there's an ongoing discussion around what companies should and shouldn't do for people. There's almost like a false tension between an organization's obligation to create an inclusive environment and this idea of self-leadership. So I wonder where you think companies fall. Are they responsible for considering the experiences of those who drink? Because I don't know. That seems to be controversial right now. What do you what do you think about that? It's so controversial. And I think there's a really fine line between coddling and creating empowerment. And I'll tell you, we have had people here in the past that have come to me and said, I no longer drink. I don't want to be on that brand, the alcohol brand. I no longer drink. Is there anything you can suggest to our team leaders to do? You know, and there's tons of non-drinking things you can do. Tons and tons. I think it is, what I will say is I think it is important to always consider everyone as best as we can. And when it comes down to something as serious as uh, drinking or non-drinking for those people that are sober or clean, that's something that you as a leader or you as a company, I believe, want to take into account. I'm not saying shift your entire offsite. Yeah, yeah. But I am definitely saying have other things at your offsite for people to drink. You know, it's this is a it's a fine line for sure. It it is a fine line. And I think there's this emerging, there's an emerging sensitivity, which is good. You know, when we say inclusion, we mean inclusion, right? If we're doing it right. But then it also butts with this, I think, moment in our society that's kind of swinging back towards temperance and non-drinking. And for me, I have this tension in my own life that if you trust somebody with a budget or you trust them with the keys to your building, it seems a little um, aggressive to say, well, we can't have alcohol on site. So I don't know, do you, do you see where I'm coming from with that? Yeah. Yes, we have alcohol on site. As a matter of fact, Wine Wednesday is something that Vayner was built on. Yeah. <laughs> Here it comes from the wine business. And we also have other things on site. And, and I just want to say, 
that there's a lot of responsibility that comes when you bring anything in from the outside that is not work-related, quote unquote. So whether you're having Mexican food or someone brings in a pinata, God forbid, on Cinco de Mayo, right? Right, right. Deal with that. Yeah. Or just like someone overindulging in Wine Wednesday or drinking. There's there's all these things that we need to consider. I have noticed the pendulum swing towards the non-drinking temperance, you know, uh, other beverages, whatever, whatever floats your boat is what I want to say. It's not something that we've had to really deal with here. It's something on an individual basis that people have come and, and spoken to me about, and we will always help them. Can't fix them. We'll always help them and try to find solutions. Makes sense. Makes sense. You know, I do like your heart-centered approach to everything and your empathetic sense of the world, right? I mean, this is what you bring to your jobs. You bring to your mission in this world. And I think a lot of people over index on empathy and sympathy and compassion and try to solve for a problem and end up creating different issues down the road. So I don't know if you're tracking with what I'm trying to express, because I've never expressed this out loud. But I think sometimes when you're heart centered, you see someone suffering and you want to impose a global solution, especially as a leader or a hiring manager, if you work in HR, and you're really, you're doing too much. Does, does that make sense? Does that resonate with you? It does. Re it does resonate with me. And I think it comes down to having boundaries and understanding where, where you end and I start and there's a clear delineation. I am not in your skin, you're not in mine. And there is a difference between empathy, kindness, compassion, and sympathy. I don't pity you. Empathy, kindness, and compassion is literally like, I feel, I feel you. I feel like, like, how can I be helpful? But we have to teach people boundaries as much as we have to teach people how to have emotional resilience as and and uh, regulation in a workplace. Things are bound to get messy. Why? Well, we're with people and we all are messy and we all have a past and we all have triggers and all of that stuff. So to impose something at scale that we think just because these two people need it, that the rest of the world needs it would be ridiculous for me to assume what you need in Amsterdam today or what you need in our Mexico City office today or what I think we tend to boil the ocean. Those of us that are feelers really do feel, but we have to learn how to have boundaries, healthy boundaries. And there is a place and time in space where you start and I stop. Do you think, though, that the modern workforce really gives us that message? Because so many organizations want us to socialize, want us to spend time, want us to spend more hours with our colleagues, and things get blurry just because of the capitalistic nature of our society. If an organization takes the standpoint that we believe more is better, you know, we want, we want you collaborating, we want you spending time off hours, I think there's less opportunity for boundary setting. I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's, I, you hit the, you hit the nail on the head and boundaries are different than shields. So if I, if I shield myself, I do not want you coming near my emotions, near my authentic self, near me. Boundaries, I think is different. I think it's a place where you start, where you start and I stop, but I don't think boundaries means I don't want to tell you about my boyfriend, girlfriend, or I don't want to tell you that I got engaged over the weekend or whatever. But I think shield, a shield armor 
is much different than a boundary. And and someone might say, well, no, Claude, they're really the same thing. I think a shield or armor you wear, and I think a boundary is something you place around yourself. Wow. When did you come up with that differentiation? When did you see that clearly? Because I'm not sure I've seen it clearly until up up until this moment. <laughs> well, I I don't know when I came up with it. I mean, I I I studied a lot of psychology a zillion years ago and I had to work on my boundaries because I'm a feeler. So, I will say I don't know, maybe sometime in my 30s it just made sense to me because you know, you want intimacy and I don't mean sexual intimacy. I said, I mean, intimacy, friendship, companionship, collaboration. And I really don't want your stuff leaking into my world. I can't, I can't hold you to. So I, I probably, you know, to be honest, I learned that the hard way. Right. And I'm sure a lot of therapy, but it even makes sense if you think about the the words and the metaphor around it, like armor I wear, I don't wear a boundary. I create a boundary. I wear armor. Yes. And it makes me think that so many people have difficulties creating boundaries in their own individual personal lives, their home lives, right? So of course you bring yourself to work. You bring yourself to the bottle, right? You bring who you are to all of these experiences. And I just, um, I like the idea that, you know, people, peer-to-peer leaders, or even your manager can help you develop some skills, but to expect a corporation to teach you how to be human and teach you how to be a responsible adult is too much on the corporation when I think a corporation can really at best maybe do no harm. I don't know. What do you you think about that? Yeah. Well, people are coming into the workplace today and I'm going to say younger generations and they want to get all of their needs met. They want to get mommied and daddied and get the eighth place trophy. They have a splinter. How can you help me? They want to grow. They want to thrive. They want to be loved and nurtured and they, you know, all of that stuff. And I think there's some of those things we can do for our people. I really do. But we cannot be the end all be all. We are not. It's a, it's an organization. There's a culture. But we cannot be the end-all be-all for for individuals, just like your own personal relationship cannot be the end-all be-all. It can't take care of all your needs. And that's something that I think you learn from going through that. I don't think that can, sure, I could say right now, hey, Jackie, guess what? Your intimate relationship is not going to be able to fulfill all your needs. And Jackie would say to me, Claude, you're crazy. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know, but you go through enough. You learn, okay, you got to have some eggs in other baskets. For sure. Uh, yeah, I'm 48 years old. If I just did one, th- one thing my whole entire life, even if it's like kittens, I love kittens and puppies. Kittens and puppies would drive me crazy after a while. So your analogy is well stated. Absolutely. That makes sense. But what's, what's, so I'm going to say, what's wrong? And I, I see this too with like, I hate to say it, me- middle aged men my age, right? Home life isn't that great. Relationships with family members are broken. And so they're like doubling down on work and going out with work friends. And then work lets them down and they've got nothing. And suddenly, as a coach, they're coming to me and I'm like, it's not my job to coach you. You need to go to therapy, right? So what's what's happening in our society that people are coming into the workplace this way? I don't have the answer other than we know that the pandemic brought to the surface that there's enormous amounts of loneliness and alienation out there. That's what we do know. That's a fact. And social isolation at that. And so if I take that 
part of the equation, then I say, okay, these people are now coming into work after like hating on their home lives and they are wanting to get into the party, get into people's business, be a, be valued, feel like they're part of something because they've been sitting on their couch for two years or fighting with their spouse for two years. So I don't, I don't actually know the answer, but I just think we're humans. We all have so many different emotions that we go through within seconds in our day and so many things we're trying to cover up and so many things we're trying to run from. And I, I think work is a, a safe haven and an island for a lot of people. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, as we start to wrap up the conversation, I'm really curious about something you said before we came on air that you're just back from the V conference. And, you know, I'm a speaker just like you, and we're going back to a lot of conferences. We're seeing people hit the road. And in some ways, it's a little scary because they're hitting it like it's 2019 and the pandemic never happened, even though they've aged, right? You know, and so a lot of drinking, a lot of partying, a lot of letting loose. But on the other hand, I've seen some really beautiful moments where friends are reuniting, colleagues are meeting for the first time. So tell me what it was like at the V conference. What was your experience and maybe even just traveling and speaking right now? Yeah, I would say my experience of the of VCon was extraordinary. It is a a super conference where Gary and co have brought many like-minded people together for the purpose of, I believe, bettering humanity. I mean, Deepak Chopra, Jessica Alba, Drew Barrymore, Ariana Huffington. I mean, some, some big names and, and people doing big things in the world and having that kind of alchemy together and the, the, community that he's created with Gary V is pretty special. I mean, he stands for empathy and kindness and, and patience and success and ambition. And the fact that he has a tremendous amount of following that are into that makes me happy. It makes me hopeful, put it that way. That's what I'll say in terms of traveling for conferences right now. It's always, I mean, it's always fun. For, it's always fun. I still pinch myself and it's interesting because I find that I do need to create healthy boundaries for myself when I go on the road for my own sanity. It's not going to Disneyland. It's not, I have two young kids. And so of course, getting onto a plane is heaven for me alone. <laughs> right, right. But what are your healthy rituals on the road? Because I think so many people struggle with that, especially now because they're rediscovering travel, right? And so I know for myself, if I'm not fully hydrated and rested, I am terrible. I'm not even a good speaker. So these are things I need to do to take care of myself. So what are you, what are you doing? Well, you just hit the hit it again because rest for me and sleep before I go on is so important. I'm not my best self. I'm not a I'm not my kindest self if I don't get that rest. And I can feel inside. You may not see it outside, but I can feel really like really worn down. This question again, and that's not fun. That's not a great place for me to be. So really staying hydrated, making sure I stretch making sure I FaceTime my kids, making, you know, just those things that are going to kind of give me creature comforts and then do it. And I try to come home, you know, I try not to be away more than two, three nights at a time, I will say. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, I do want to just end on one interesting thing you said. You talked about the community that Gary has built. And in general, I just think communities are at their best when they lean into empathy and compassion, but also recognize success and ambition. 
I think that's a very difficult thing to do because success and ambition, especially in many major corporations, is predicated on some really maladaptive behaviors, right? You know, the drinking, the excessive entertaining or being entertained. So if you had words of wisdom out there for like emerging careerists, seasoned careerists, right? How do you strike the balance? How do you get that right? And I don't know, is it even realistic to find that balance? I, I think we really need to pay attention to patience. And that is one thing I have learned in nine years here, that patience really means the long game. And I was never a long game thinker, ever, ever, ever. And that is important because whatever you're trying to manifest, it will come. It may not come today and it may not come tomorrow, but we have to continue working at it. And while we're working at it, I think stay true to who we are, stay true to that kind human that we are, that compassionate human that we are. And I think you can have both, but recognizing that things take time. It takes time to marinate. You've got to get your ducks in a row, whatever that means. And uh, someone may look at Gary, just like someone may look at Steve Jobs and say, oh my God, this happened overnight. Well, it didn't. This has been something Gary has been working towards since he, he started working, probably at 15, 16 years old. So give yourself that grace while you're still you know, looking toward, you know, you're going through the alphabet, A, B, C, D, all the way to Z, but you got to go through the entire alphabet to get to Z, I guess. That's, that's what I would say, another metaphor for you, but, but patience and intention, being mindful of who you are and how you show up in the world every day. Those are important things. Yeah. And I think sometimes people are using alcohol or some of these events as a hack to create that community when I think patience is so beautifully said. It's like an antidote to this, right? You know, if you're playing the long game, you don't have to hack together a big dinner that's predicated on you know, partying or strip clubs to your earlier point, right? The relationships will build if you give it time. Yes. And also you don't have to play the name game. Cool. You know, this person, that person, that's great. I'm so psyched you connected with them. Fantastic. Yeah. Like, okay. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. That's what the world is about. Connecting right. with and I'm happy for you. And thanks so much. I'm going to go back to my room. Right, right. I, I love that. I love the idea of patience as like the killer app. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> well, listen, Claude, it's always a joy to talk to you. We'll make sure we have all of your contact information and your good stuff in the show notes. But thanks again for being a guest today. Thanks, Lori. You're the best. The Corporate Drinker Podcast is a special series brought to you by Punk Rock HR. If you like what you heard, head on over to your favorite streaming platform and leave a five-star rating and a review. You can also head on over to punkrockhr.com for news, information, show notes, and all the good stuff related to Corporate Drinker. This episode was expertly produced and edited by my friends at Emerald City Productions with special help from Danny and Michael. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. We'll catch you next time on the Corporate Drinker Podcast.